104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now, it's time for Ned Talk. Well, here we are on our last Sunday. Our last Sunday as the out-of-season Ned Talk, as we call it around here, where we do our just chat about sports as we're... Getting ready to head towards preseason football that happens next Saturday starting at 10 a.m. Ned Talk will be right here, 11 o'clock, the pregame show. Mitch Holtis, Art Haynes, Dan Israel, and Damon Hughes will all be part of the show. Noon kickoff as the Chiefs will take on the Bears to start out the NFL season. And it's pretty exciting because... This is what we started out to do, Ned. We started out to be a pre-pregame show, and now, well, we're just about to start up again and start being the Chiefs' pre-pregame show. I love your description there, out of season. Ned's been out of season for a long <laughs> time, man. <laughs> That's exactly right. With us this week is Alex Scott. Alec, how are you doing? Doing well. Excited for football to start up, but still want to talk about the Cardinals baseball a little bit with you today. No, we're not, to to, we're not going to talk oh, about that yes, at all. Yes, we are. <laughs> no, baseball we're not talk, is dead. No, no we're not going to talk about that at all, okay? Gone. Josh Roberts in the studio. How are you, Josh? I'm doing great. I was just saying baseball's dead now because the Premier League started back up. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just I'm looking at some of these scores that have come over, and Manchester United loses their they lost to game. Brighton Hove. Yeah, and two to one. Yeah, that's well. What Manchester United has fallen on hard times the last couple seasons, so they're not doing great. <laughs> All right, and uh, the excuse this week why John Oliver is not with us is a cold. Cold for it's those cold. of you keeping score at home: plantar fasciitis, <laughs> flat tire. If you have your John and Oliver a cold excuse now. bingo card. Yes, you can. But I bet you he's with us next Saturday. Oh, I'm sure. He will. Oh, he yeah. Well, be. we'll see. We'll see. He might, he'll probably be here on Sunday. What do we know? Show? No show today? And no telling where Jake's at. He's traveling around. I'm sure he'll be up in Kansas City at the Chiefs game. But let's start off with uh, I, I, one of, uh, again, sad sports stories. These guys, uh, you know, grow older and they pass away. Two legends of sports. And let's start with Bill Russell. Uh, Ned, you, uh, the oldest of us in this group, and you saw Bill Russell play uh, just for all the accolades that Wilt Chamberlain gets as an offensive player, Bill Russell right there is a defensive player. He had him psyched out, and I can't tell you, I, I don't know what the count is, but how many times I saw them go head-to-head, being an East Coast native and being uh, in high school and then in college in that area during the time that they, the Celtics and the first Warriors and then 76ers went after each other. Those were epic clashes of two Two magnificent athletes. You're right, Will Chamberlain was by far the better offensive player and in a lot of respects, maybe overall. But defensively and psychologically, Bill Russell had him beat every single time. 11, well, the NBA championships, he was surrounded by a better team and Russell made them the better team. 11 national champion or uh, NBA championships, and he has, what, a five MVP rings, something like that. He was really a terrific athlete and, and a, a terrific person. I had the opportunity to interview him twice. The first time when he was here was at a Drury convocation. And this is where we're talking 30, 35, 40 years ago. Very reticent, very hesitant about what he did. The second time he was here, which would have been about 20... 12, 2013, it was as a speaker for the Boys and Girls uh, Steak and Steak. 
absolutely turned around 180 degrees. Friendly, that big laugh that he had, great interview. He was really a, a very stalwart individual, very big in the uh, proponent of the racial equality and so forth and so on. And just, But uh, his basketball skills, he may not have been the greatest offensive player. Average, I think, only 15 points a game. That's because he didn't need to. He needed to play defense, and he was that, and they were epic battles. Of course, I'm old enough to remember when he played in college. He, <laughs> the media liked to portray him as a guy coming into the NBA, and nobody had ever heard of him before. That's a lot of rubbish. He was a National College Player of the Year at San Francisco, back-to-back national championships, 60-game winning streak. Bill Russell and Casey Jones and the San Francisco Dons, they were tremendous basketball teams. So, yeah, this guy was not an unknown when he came in, but he he really heightened his career by playing with Red Hour, playing for Red Auerbach. He's the one who really transformed his defensive skills into something that was incredibly good consummate professional as you said he was a leader in the african-american community he also was ambassador for the nba game he was anytime that there was a major event with the nba you could count that bill russell was going to be there and he will be greatly missed let's talk about the other big name that passed away this week and that's vin scully vin scully broadcast for the los angeles dodgers and the brooklyn dodgers He stopped a couple of years ago at the age of 89. He passed away at the age of 92. And talk a little bit about Vin Scully and your memories of him. I wish I could tell you that I'd met him, but I never did. But I listened to him as a kid. Oh, my goodness sake. Of course, New York and Philadelphia are, what, 80, 80, 90 miles apart. So the broadcasts of the despised Brooklyn Dodgers came into (laughs) Philadelphia. Despised because they whipped our behinds all the time. But, yes, growing up with... Vin Scully and Red Barber and Andre Baruch and that whole Brooklyn Dodgers broadcasting team was a heck of an experience. And you knew fully well that this, and he's a kid, he's a kid who was able to take what he wanted to do and do it professionally and do it very well. My favorite story, and I'll bore you guys with this one, is how he got started in the business. Now, he, he's a broadcast junkie. He wanted to be in broadcasting you know, to Fordham and New York City's New York native. And uh, would play center field for the Fordham Rams and broadcast the game to himself while he was out there and all that sort of thing. Well, he hooked on as a gopher at CBS in New York. And he's doing all the scut jobs, you know, get the coffee and uh, maybe we'll let you on the air a little bit and so forth and so on. Comes the big break. It's a big football. Now, keep in mind, there was no television back then, TV, a non-entity. The big games were broadcast. Big game in Boston in late November against Boston University, which played big-time football back then, and Maryland. Big game. Going to play at Boston University's home field, which was Braves Field, where the Boston Braves played. It's right there on the campus. So CBS said, okay, we're going to do that game. National broadcast. Boston University, this is 1946 or 47. Boston University versus Maryland. Big game. So Bill Stern, or one of the great broadcasters of that era, was scheduled to do the game and got ill. Oh, my God, what are you going to do? The day of the game, he said, how about this kid Scully? He's been hanging around here. Get him up to Boston, do the game. He wants to make a name for himself. So he did. Vin's bingo. Him and his engineer, they go up there to Boston right away. They're going to do the game in the afternoon. It's cold. It's November. It's Boston. 
Right there on the Charles River, the wind is blowing there. Get to Braves Field, and there is no broadcast booth for them. This is this is where the Boston Braves play, but everything had been taken by other media entities writing the game and so forth. No room for CBS. What are you going to do? Engineer gets in the press box, goes up onto the roof of uh, Braves Field, establishes a tiny little you know, broadcast booth where he can operate the panel and so forth, gives Scully a microphone with a long cord. You're on your own, boy. That is how he did the game, walking back and forth across the roof of Braves Field in Boston with no spotter. Did have the rosters, of course, but no spotter, no nothing like that, no co-announcer, no nothing. And did that three-hour game in CBS. They didn't know what the the background was. They did pretty good, kid. We, uh, we just might bring you on. That's the diligence that was required that got wow. him got him his big start. I said consummate professional when referring to Bill Russell. The same thing could be said about Vince Scully. My my favorite story about Vince Scully is we didn't get a lot of Dodgers games here, and he did broadcast some national games and things like that. And 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 during the eighties, it kind of became in vogue to make fun of some of the older broadcasting legends, uh, Johnny Carson and. Uh, there was a comedian that used to do uh, an impersonation of Vin Scully where he'd go, Ron Say lines out to third base. How about those hot dogs over there? And it was, and it was really, it was funny. Right. And then uh, about 10 years ago, while I had the Major League Baseball package, I would lay awake at night and I would watch the Dodgers games. And I realized there's no color commentator on these games at all. It's just Vin Scully doing it's it by him. himself. And how amazing it was that he, uh, I, I think one of the keys to broadcasting sports ned can say this is not to fill the room all the time with what you have to say keep your voice down and uh, let the moment speak for itself and that's better more for television than it is for radio he came up scully had the greatest line i think i've ever heard and this is how bright this guy was sandy koufax is out on the mound and he's got a no-hitter going. I think he's no-hitting the Cubs, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. But he gets out there, and uh, <laughs> in the eighth inning, he says, the crowd is on the edge of its seats. Everybody's thrilled by this. But you know what, folks? That pitching mound has to be the loneliest place in the world, right? <laughs> Beautifully articulated yeah. description. Yes. He's just an amazing broadcaster. A couple of amazing legends of sports passed away this week, and... We uh, pay tribute to them today right here on Ned Talk, your local live sports show on 104.7 The Cave. And let's get into the baseball trade deadline because that's one of the big stories of the week. And the Cardinals made a move that paid off right away. Jordan let's, Montgomery. Let's turn it to Alec. And uh, you're Montgomery, who the Cardinals got from the New York Yankees for Harrison Bader, did pitch last night. I'm going to probably counter what you have to say, but what were your thoughts on that? It's not often that you trade for a guy and he gets to not only make his first start this quick, but also against his former team. And, you know, going up against him, he looked really good. We got a guy who could give us a quality start, and that is exactly what this rotation needed, was arms to give quality starts so that the bullpen didn't get chewed up. Harrison Bader, I was a fan of his while he was with us. However, the outfield was already getting crowded, and they're all starting to test Jordan Walker out in the outfield down here. Clearly, they want to try and fast-track bringing him up a little bit. So it was just turning into someone's got to be the odd man out, and we picked the guy who's in a walking boot. Alec, Alec made a very astute observation there. The day, in fact, probably the hour that that, that trade was made, Bader for Montgomery, call came down here. 
Walker is in the outfield tonight, and they're on the road when this happens. They're down in Corpus Christi. He's playing in left field. Put him out there. End of conversation. That's exactly what they have done. Well, Montgomery pitched very well last night. He went five and maybe five and a third or five and two-thirds innings against the Cardinals. But baseball, guys, is a game of rhythm and balances and counterbalances. That's the way the game is designed. It's beautiful that way. I love it. Well, Montgomery pitched well. Two hits is all the New York Yankees got. But they also got about six hits because the defense took away four of them. Great defense by the Cardinals. These things happen in rhythms. Uh, here's Arnado laying out to get a shot down the third baseline and L- Lars Newtbar making a diving catch. Hey, in other circumstances, those balls are by and the Yankees are maybe contributing three or four runs to the scene. It's all a matter of the bounces, the trajectories, the rhythms in which you're playing. Cardinals are on a roll right now. They're, I think, uh, what, 10-2 and two in their last 12 games, something like this, and playing well. You know, naturally, you want to see the Cardinals succeed. Uh, I wish the streak was later on and not now. <laughs> Let me chime in here really quickly. Being the, the Yankees fan in this group is I was surprised by the Jordan Montgomery trade because he's pitched really solid for the Yankees this year. Gives up runs early, but he usually settles in. And you saw that last night in the Cardinals game first inning. He looked a little shaky, looked a little out of rhythm, and he, rightfully so because first game, Pitching for the Cardinals, first time on that mound ever in his life. Pitching against his former teammates, it's got to be shaky. And he had some really good defense behind him, as Ned said, that helped him out a lot. And I think that he's going to be a very, very better than serviceable pitcher for the new, for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I was completely surprised by this because he's been a stalwart of their starting rotation this how year. About, how about taking the mound before the largest crowd yeah. ever to see a game mm. at Bush Stadium. Wow. Any other moves in this uh, trade deadline that surprise you? I, I have to say the team that the Cardinals are tied with at the top of the division, t- trading one of the best closers in baseball was a total surprise to me. was to me, too, when I saw it come down. Uh, Hader is, it was, was, let's put it past tense, was their stopper. When I saw that happen, my God, one of the... What are they unloading this guy to the Padres, for heaven's sake? And then you take a look at, number one, the number of scouts who look at all these games, scouting all the contests and making notes. And number two, what Hader has done the last month and a half or two months of the season. He has plummeted. He's been hit hard. His earned run average went from something like 26 to 8.1 or some, whatever the numbers were, it's now averaging four point something. He was beginning to get hit hard. Why? Well, the scouts will tell you, well, he's maybe lost a little bit off that fastball, and this may be permanent. And number two, the Brewers are going to get rid of him anyway. They're going to trade him over the winter. He's going to become a free agent. They didn't want to go and spend the money to re-sign him and so forth. So they made the most of what they could do. Still, considering his effectiveness coming out of the bullpen, I was as surprised as you, Joe, that that happened. And they had a couple of blown saves this weekend and this week after the trade. And I thought it was really interesting what uh, John Smoltz said during the game last night about just the optics within the clubhouse, that they really didn't make any other big moves. Maybe there wasn't anything out there that they were looking for. But how that feels to the guys in the clubhouse where you trade that big name and then you don't get anything in return. Well, it depends depends on how you quantify uh, anything because they did get some pretty good prospects yeah. out of it. 
but they're prospects. They're not individuals who have excelled at the moment. There's a couple ways to look at it. They're playing maybe for the long run, and they also, the Brewers may have been thinking, we can get rid of this. We can we can do this sort of thing. We can make a deal like that because we don't feel that Cardinals are going to challenge us that much. And it may be back and forth and back and forth all season long. Have you ever seen a first-place team make a move like that? Can you remember anything like that? No, I cannot. Yeah, it was, it was a strange move. Of course, Juan Soto went to the San Diego Padres. That was kind of kind of expected, I would say. What, what do you think of that overall change? Throw it over to Alec. What did you think of it? Well, you know, it was exciting to have the Cardinals in that race just because we don't often get to see them going for these big-name guys very often. But ultimately, the price was a little too steep. I was, despite hearing things about the Dodgers, uh, the Padres, excuse me, being the front runners, I was still expecting the Dodgers to end up getting them just because that's the way free the trade deadline has seemed to go the past few years. Who's the biggest guy on the market? He's going to be a Dodger for the rest of this year. But the Padres were looking at the prospect of Soto being 23 years old, hopefully getting Fernando Tatis Jr. back in, and then Manny Machado, try and lock those guys up at the heart of your lineup and see what kind of damage you can do. So ultimately, you know, we get to keep our farm system intact, and he's out west where he's someone, mainly someone else's problem. That's what I was afraid was going to happen. They'd make a deal for him and then have to unload on Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, maybe both, or uh, Gordon Grasafo or somebody of, of nature who do have major league potential. That you did not, at least I don't think anyway, would want that to happen. So, yeah, the Cardinals are able to keep that system intact. And here's uh, Soto, who is a fine player. But, guys, it is the defense that wins games for you. Pitching, defense, your defensive skills. The late Bill Verdon <clears throat> always said that. He said, hey, you can have all the bats in the, in the world. And he can go back to the 1960 World Series when the Yankees outscored the Pittsburgh Pirates like 35 to 15 or something, but won the World Series. It is, you can have all the big bats. You've got to be able to stop and pitch and beat these teams at critical times. That's well, you, how it works. You saw that last night with the Cardinals. They play great defense and were able to beat the Yankees. Exactly right. And they're playing good baseball right now. And uh, and it's let's just quickly go around the table and say who's who's the top team in baseball right now, Ned. As of today, the top team. I'd, I'd have to say the Dodgers are right now. What about you, Alec? It's a toss-up between the Dodgers and the Astros, and the Astros have been on an absolute tear since the All-Star break and chasing down the Yankees for that number yep. one spot in the AL. What about you, Josh? I'll still go with your Yankees. All right, I'm gonna, I, I'll go uh, across town and say the Mets. Oh, wow. I watched them play the Yankees, and I was pretty impressed with that team that they played. Play good defense. They've got a lot of bats. They've got some good pitching. I think they're the team to watch as we go uh, towards the – latter part of the season. When we come back, we'll talk about football because that's just around the corner. <laughs> and You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. We have our Chiefs first broadcast coming up on 
Saturday. It will be the preseason game that they take on the Chicago Bears from Arrowhead. And then, no, no, it's Soldier Field. It is Soldier Field. Well, I've been saying that wrong then. I this, is, that... this is their only road game okay. of, of the uh, three exhibitions. All right, they will be at Soldier Field then. Please excuse me for saying that wrong. <laughs> As they uh, will start the broadcast at noon, we'll start Ned Talk at 10 o'clock. The pregame show will be at 11. And, uh, Ned, I should have listened to you because we uh, talked about the guy that the Chiefs signed. I talked a lot about the Chiefs guy that they signed uh, as a free agent after the draft, and uh, he got hurt. So he will not be part of the Chiefs this season. You're talking about Justin Ross? Yeah. Yeah, well, Ross Ross came in as damaged goods anyway, and he's not necessarily finished him for his career, but they are going to sideline him this year, and with good cause. You don't have a spinal fusion surgical procedure and not require a, a fairly lengthy amount of time to recover from it. Well, he's has been recovered now for over a year from it, but still... There's a lot of conditioning that goes into it. Then he has a foot fracture mm-hmm. that also is is kind of tenuous in a way. But they have put him on injured reserve. means he's out for the year. Guy has a lot of talent. He's a big star at Clemson when he was down there. Set something like a freshman record for national freshman record for passes caught and things of that nature. Guy has a great amount of ability. But still, Joe, he's... He's one of these guys who you take a chance on, and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. Have you ever heard of the uh, Madden curse? Oh, of course. You know, on the video game? Sure. I think we're going to start referring to it as the Chiefs happy hour curse. Because <laughs> last year, you know, when we, when we when Mitch was here, people asked him, you know, w- you know, what do you think of the Chiefs receiving core? And he would say, listen, I'm going to tell you. This is the guy I'm going to tell you about. It's Noah Gray. You need to watch Noah Gray because he's the guy that's going to do it. Noah Gray. Not impactful for the Chiefs last year. He came in this year. He talked about Justin Ross, and he gets injured, so we're going to call it the Holtis curse. He also talked <laughs> in, in great, great joy and so forth about uh, Orlando Brown, and the next day Orlando Brown did not sign his contract. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, now, the, I'm, we're not making fun of Mitch or Danian Hughes or those guys. No, no not at all. Absolutely great. Absolutely sensational. Put on a terrific show. When you have the governor in the audience and the governor is getting a big laugh out of all these things, you know you're entertaining. But Mitch, in all honesty, if if it's an objective review of things, you're not going to get it because everything is wonderful glory and the sun is rising and world championships are about to abound. And, and maybe they will. Who knows? But over and above all that, he's he's the tub thumper for the Chiefs. Well, I can tell you what, Mitch Holtis knows where the Chiefs are playing on Saturday. So <laughs> he's, he's one step ahead of me. Chiefs did make a move today. They released uh, DeAndre Baker today as uh, part of their a part of their secondary core. What do you think about well, that? It, when they got him from the New York Giants, he was already banged up. This is about uh, two or three years ago. They picked him up. He played in a couple of a couple of seasons for Kansas City, but considering the fact they have 90 people on the team, they've got to cut down to 53. There are going to be some other veterans who get jettisoned to it. It's part of the nature of the business, and that's what it is. It's a business. And they made a significant a guy that could be impactful in the first season, and that's uh, Carlos Dunlap. They signed him this last week. They did, brought him into camp, and again, you're talking about a guy who I think played, if I'm not mistaken, all 17 games for the uh, Seattle Seahawks last year. Guy's a good player, but he is also a role player as such. Well, they all are for that matter. But given given what he can do, he is he's being brought in as a backup. He's being brought in as depth for uh, for Clark and for Chris Jones 
and assuming for the rookie from Purdue, Karloftis, who's in there. So there are many ways to look at that. And, Joe, while they sign him, while they sign these guys, that doesn't necessarily mean they make the team. There's still roster cuts to be made as we go forward in this, and they're just at the very beginning of this whole process. What do you expect to see? I'm going to ask all of you this question. What do you expect to see Saturday from the Chiefs? Maybe a one-eighth of the game by the starters. It won't be very much. Mahomes may be in there, and the other starters may be in there for one series, and then that'll be it. And then from there on in, giving the the free agents and the rookies and the hangers-on and so forth and so on a chance to solidify themselves. I'm of the opinion that with three games to play, the first one might be might be a little tenuous in terms of making judgments, but the next two are going to be very important when you have a team like Kansas City, which does have the talent base on their ball club, because you're going to make judgments from what you see in actual game competition. What do you think, Alec? Like you said, it's not going to be a ton of the starters. You don't want to overreact to much you see in that first preseason game, but you want to look at rookie Trent McDuffie in the secondary You want to see if the absence of Tyron Matthew is affected and the addition with Justin Reed, that secondary is reworked. And you want to see what Karloftis does with his playing time. So you look at those guys specifically, and then, you know, there's going to be the new wide receiver core that Mahomes is going to be throwing to. But ultimately, I think one, maybe two drives will not be enough to fully judge how they're going to be going forward. So it's this is audition tape for those guys 54 through 90, the ones that are trying to make that cut who need to, someone's going to have to show those coaches something. And step one is, can you take what we did in practice and just put it into a game? Your thoughts, Josh? Well, I think because there's one fewer preseason game, the pressure is on these guys a little bit more to, to show what they can do because they don't, I mean, typically that first preseason game was, you know, everybody's going at, half speed or three-quarter speed and it's not that big a deal and there aren't very many there's not much uh evaluation of those initial players i think they're just trying to get the the speed and rhythm and everything going and then the the subsequent games are when they really start evaluating they don't have that luxury now so i think it's evaluation from the get-go with this first game so i mean i expect to see a lot of effort from the non-starters Interesting, the Chiefs always seem to have a new wrinkle to the things that they do. And we've talked a lot on this show about maybe not having that security with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And I heard this last week that they were working out Sky Moore in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that? Well, th- th- I think that's indicative of the uh, credibility that they put in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's, he's had good years but not the great years that they thought a guy out of LSU would have but then again their attack wasn't built on a on a running game it is it's morphing more toward that now and a guy like Sky Moore who does have not only the receiving abilities but has breakaway speed as well could fit very well into that particular philosophical approach to things what about it you guys how do you feel about that I know Josh has your opinion you have your opinion on Clyde Edwards Hilaire let's get Alex take well I my initial read NFL is a copycat league. You see something work for somebody, you try and em, emulate your own version of it. Debo Samuel's coming off a career year working out of the backfield for San Francisco, and if you watch what they do with him, and you look at a guy like Sky Moore and think, 
we could do something like sure. that. You just, it's all about getting these fast guys into open space with room to move and let them make a play. Going back to Clyde Edwards Hilaire, though, his, I mean, when he's looked good, he's looked very good, but there's been more valleys in between those peaks than I think the Chiefs would have liked to see. And the running attack for a lot of these teams is evolving. It's less just straight up the middle, pound the rock. It's evolving more into this swing pass out to a guy out of the backfield is five-yard gain. That's our new five-yard run. And it's just all about broadening the playbook, stretching the defense, and let those playmakers who go out behind them open up stuff for you as well. I don't think anybody would argue that the best offensive player on the Chiefs team behind Patrick Mahomes was Tyree Kill. Mm -hmm. And you saw how the Chiefs would innovate to try to get the ball to Tyreek to try to, they did a lot of end arounds, did a lot of sweeps with him. What do you think? Is that something that Sky Moore is going to fit into, Josh? I definitely think he could fit into that. I mean, I think he's got the talent and I think it's a great idea that they are working him out the way they are because as you alluded to a minute ago, I'm not, I think they should have gotten rid of Clyde Edwards Hilaire because <laughs> I think he's a failure as far as what they expected him to be able to do. So I'm excited to see this guy in action because I think he could be that piece that you're never going to totally replace a Tyree kill because of his speed and his talent. And his, his, his uh, side to side mobility was unmatched. But if you've got a running back that can, get some reps and catch the ball and get out there in space like that and has the speed that this guy apparently has, you don't need Clyde Edwards Lair. <laughs> now, it should be interesting to see how this all, all this plays out as the Chiefs approach the first training camp without Tyreek Hill in many years and how that offense is going to look. We're going to see a little taste of it on Saturday right here on 104.7 The Cave. Stick around. More Ned Talk is on the way. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Yes, we are, and we have our first preseason game, and it will be in Chicago. Idiot. It'll be in Chicago. I said it would be in Kansas City. Be in Chicago Saturday. We'll have the broadcast for you starting at 10 a.m. with Ned Talk. Thanks for screwing up two hours of my show, the Vinyl Club show on Saturday mornings. But okay, is that what we'll take yeah, that you're place? Gonna, you're going to precede that by a little bit. You're going to preempt that, I guess, is the right word to say there. And then the pregame show is at 11. Noon will be the kickoff. And I'm, I'm anxious for some football. But let's talk about legal proceedings because there's a lot of it going on in sports right now. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson. The uh, judgment came down this week. Six games. And I think everybody was a little shocked by that. And the NFL was definitely shocked because they immediately sued so that he would get a uh, much stiffer sentence. What's your thoughts? Well, the whole thing is protracted, number one, and it may not be over when uh, the alleged impartial arbitrator this time makes a decision. I'll tell you exactly why, too. All right, they hired and both sides agreed. Both sides agreed on this uh, judge, the Honorable uh, Mrs. Robinson, Sarah Robinson, I believe her name is, retired federal judge. She was going to be the impartial arbitrator and still is. All right, she issues a decision of a six-game suspension. 
egregious uh, sexual, maybe not assaults, maybe a lot violent assaults, but still uh, sexual acts that are beyond the realm of uh, acceptability. So it's a six-game suspension. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Say the uh, National Football League, we wanted a one-year. That's too bad. You're getting a, a six-game suspension out of this. Well, in that clause, there. I, let me rephrase that. There is a clause in the agreement between the owners and the players that the owners have a right to appeal and have a rehearing. The rehearing does not involve new evidence, nothing like that. A different perspective. So the commissioner has the right to either oversee the thing himself, which is bogus, or bring in his own choice, which is also bogus. And that's what they decide on. The retired attorney general from New Jersey, the Honorable Judge Harvey, will take over. Well, he and Goodell are very close confidants. And Judge Harvey also is one of the National Football League committee members on discipline and things of this nature. Well, come on. How is this going to go? Well, the fact of the matter remains he is hearing, he being Judge Harvey, the, all the re-evidence now. And he's going to make a new decision. When that decision is made... If it doesn't adhere to what the players want, they can take it to federal court and sue and hold, hold this whole thing up, even though that decision from Judge Harvey is binding. It does count. It's the way it's going to be. But it can be appealed, as can anything in this country, I guess. Well, cor- correct me if I'm wrong. During the appeals process, he can play, can he? Or is he well, he's out? It is, to my knowledge, he can play. Okay. But still, he is suspended. He's suspended for six games because of the original decision. Does that decision, is it upheld during the time of a, an argument back and forth? There's the question, and I do not know the answer to that. What do you think, Alec? Well, I know... The NFLPA and Deshaun Watson's team have no intention of uh, appealing the six-game suspension. They are willing to accept that. But this guy that Roger Dell picked, he's in he's an NFL guy. Writing's on the wall. <laughs> this is only going to go one way, and that's going to be it. either the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson accept a year-long suspension or it gets decided in federal court. Now, one thing that was at least helped with this process, it used to be Goodell was able to hear evidence on his own, and he made the determination whether the personal conduct policy was violated on his own with their evidence that he did not have to release. The judge that they appointed, Judge Robinson, at least is a buffer for the players so that she is the one that gets to hear this evidence, and she determined that he did violate the personal conduct policy her stance was that their personal conduct policy is laid out as such where they have not implemented a full season as a punishment for the crimes committed crimes committed may be wrong because this is not in court where this is happening but anyway they she picked six games because it's the highest number of games anyone's ever been suspended for this type of violation seeing that his acts are more egregious however they are not able to up to a full year suspension without some sort of notice to the players that this is now going to be the sentence for the violation. I struggle with it. I can understand her stance, but me personally, I don't have any issue with the hammer being brought down on Deshaun Watson in this instance just because it is egregious. These it's you know, twenty four or twenty five different people. That's extreme. I personally don't see an issue if they choose to try and make an example of it here. Josh, this is such a such a tough spot the NFL's in because he's not been found guilty of a thing. Right. And all that he has 
happening right now is he's being sued. And I assume that some of the information from the lawsuits has been brought out in these hearings that the judge has heard and maybe can see what is going to be laid out in these cases. But still, you know, I've, I've heard the argument from a lot of people, innocent till proven guilty. Right. Uh, the problem is that's not really how our society works anymore. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and the simple fact that there are 24 or 25 allegations, they, he has settled out of court with a certain number of them. 23. With 23 of them. So he's basically paying them to not continue a criminal case against him or a civil case against him, which, you know, whether you want to say guilty until proven innocent, that to me is a sign of guilt. When you're willing to pay millions of dollars to prevent someone from getting more than millions of dollars from you, you're kind of saying, okay, I know I'm, I'm admitting that I did it, but let's just not make this as bad as it could be. So I, I'm kind of on the, I have mixed feelings about it too, because like you said, he has not been, he has not been convicted of a crime, but there's obviously misconduct there. Now, the other thing is the NFL had, with Roger Goodell as their commissioner is the worst entity for disciplining their employees that I've ever seen. They have so many black eyes over the way that they've handled domestic abuse and substance abuse and all this stuff that's happened since he's become the commissioner. This is just another one, I feel, because honestly, if there's any legitimacy, which there obviously is, to all of these women's claims, then he should not be playing football at all. He should be in jail. And if he's not going to go to jail, it, the NFL, I feel, has a social obligation to suspend him for more than just six games. Six games is a slap on the wrist. Let me ask you this. Let me play devil's advocate with all of you guys and, and just say uh, this is not my personal stance, but I've heard people say this before, too. Legally, there are some attorneys that you would go to that would probably say, look, just pay this and make this go away whether you're guilty or innocent, because if you go to court on this, it's going to cost X number of dollars. It's probably going to be more than you're going to pay this person. You're, some things are going to come out that you may not want to come out, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. And it's just easy just to make this all go away. And we've seen this with other athletes. Ben Roethlisberger, it happened with Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot in sports. And as a public figure, you're open to, and again, I'm not saying this personally, but I'm going to say as a devil's advocate, you're open to being blackmailed. So where are we at here? Well, there are two factors that come into play. Number one, Judge Robinson said in doing all of the reviews and so forth of the, of the evidence, yeah, he did these things. But in looking back into history, the National Football League has a tendency to to judge their penalties on the outcry from the public. Yes, I would and, agree with that. And she said that's not going to happen in my judicial circumstance. It will not happen. It doesn't need to be a part of it. Well, case in point, how? what are they doing? They're appealing this because it didn't fit their bill of penalty. <laughs> yes, that's right. public outcry. Mm -hmm. And no, no question about the fact that women's groups around the country are incensed. Frankly, I agree with them. I think they should be. But over and above that, you're rea reacting to public outcry. But number two, and the most damning, is the two grand juries in Texas were handed this case and denied prosecution. And it, 
didn't want to be involved in it because there wasn't enough evidence. All right. That's the judge said, all right, if that's the case, no, he has not pleaded guilty to anything. He's never been charged with anything as such. These are all allegations. The big thing in, in Deshaun Watson's damnation here is that he shows zero yeah. remorse. Right. Yes. None. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And thinking back how all this has played out, he said virtually nothing. And again, he's probably under some pretty heavy legal advice, and they probably told him not to say anything. Well, I'm sure that is the case. Mm-hmm. But I would think that it's simple. Hey, I'm sorry all this happened. It shouldn't have. I can't see where that would have. Well, that's almost admission. And if you mm-hmm. admit, then you got to pay the big numbers if they take you to court. So If, if, it's, if it's construed as being an admission, yes. But yeah. I don't think, I, I don't know the legal frame here and how that works. I don't know. We need to get a Ned Talk attorney. <laughs> you know, I think we had one at one point, but uh, we've, we lost contact with that guy. He was you know, our Ned Talk attorney. We need to have one of those again. When we come back, we'll talk about the other legal proceedings that are in front of sports right now and tell everybody what we're going to watch on TV this afternoon. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. It's going to be another warm day today. High around 94. Tomorrow looking better. Chance of thunderstorms, high of 92. Those thunderstorms will be late. Right now it's 88 and sunny. You're listening to Ned Talk, your local live sports talk show. Quickly, let's talk about the uh, lawsuit that's going on between the Live Golf Tour, some of the golfers (laughs) on that tour, and the PGA. Ned, your thoughts on that? Well, you knew this was going to come to a head sooner or later. Uh, The Live people who are getting their money anyway against the pros from the PGA Tour who say, you are insulting us with this kind of behavior. You do not. Part of Liv's lawsuit is they want back in the majors, and they want to play in the big tournaments, tournaments of their choosing. And the PGA players are saying, what kind of an insult is this? These guys haven't earned their way onto this tour. Why should we allow them back? So it, And you knew this was going to happen, too. You knew the animosity would develop between the, the two warring sides. Joe, I honestly don't know how this is going to come out. It may be years in the deciding. It may not be. I, I must admit to you, you, you t- kind of take a look at things from a selfish perspective. How does this affect us? It doesn't. We're not making any money out of this or losing any money out of this. So really, does does the public really have a an intense identity with what's going on? I can take a nap watching either one of them. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> this, this story came through today, just real quickly, because I think it merits just a, just a moment of conversation, because that's all Pete Rose deserves is a moment. <laughs> He's going to be on the field today for the Phillies game. Yeah, right. Somebody asked him about some allegations that were made about him about statutory rape. His response was, this was a female reporter, it was 55 years ago, babe. 
Mm. Oh, talk gosh. about a guy that's completely out of touch with everything. It's got to be Pete Rose. Your thoughts, Ned? Well, Pete Rose is who he is. And, <laughs> yeah, and, he is. and that identity is never going to change. Never. Yeah. I do think he gets in the Hall of Fame, but it will be after he has departed this earth. Alec, you're the younger statesman of this group. What do you think about Pete Rose? Sounds like Pete Rose is going to Pete Rose, but I, if to, <laughs> I can't imagine looking someone in the face when he tells with, with that kind of an allegation, be like, oh, it was 55 years ago. Well, you know what? World War II was longer ago than that. <laughs> yes, I don't years. think we've forgiven it. You know, yeah. it's that doesn't just that doesn't alleviate you of that mm. guilt unless apparently you're Pete Rose. Yeah. Josh, what about you? I uh, gosh, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> All right. All right. What are you going to watch on TV this afternoon, Ned? Probably nothing, because I, I don't get the Cardinals on my system. You can come around to my house. Uh, One of my dogs will lay on you. Got some gardening to <laughs> yep. do anyway, but uh, over and above that, just general chores, I think. And I will, however, watch the Dodgers and the Padres tonight. What about you, Alec? Uh, Cardinals, Yankees, Montas, the Yankees' newest addition, the guy that everyone wanted on the market versus Wainwright, the guy everyone wished they had. You so, got, you got your broom out? You're going to be sitting there with your broom in your hand? You know, uh, I think I might, and I'll probably take tomorrow off work if we get that sweep. <laughs> so, uh, your, your boss will not let you do that. What do you, what do you think about that, Josh? Uh, I don't know what I'm going to watch today. I don't, I don't know. Maybe baseball. I may just take a nap. Who knows? Okay, all right. What about well, you? I am going to go home and uh, watch a movie on Netflix, but I'm probably going to get up in the other room and go in and watch the Cardinals and the Yankees. Wait a minute. A Yankees fan and you're watching I, Netflix? I, I, they're not here. playing very well right now, so when they play badly, I crawl into a hole and cry <laughs> most of the time. So, But I probably will have it on in the other room, and I probably will get up occasionally and go in and see what's happening. Because, you know, when they're playing bad, I don't know if you guys do this quickly. Do you do? I, Ned, I know you won't. You'll say definitely not. But if, if your team is playing badly and you, you watch a moment of the game and they do something stupid, you oh, it's my fault. It's my fault. I'm doing it. I need to leave the room. And I've kind of got that theory right now with the Yankees. What I'm about, real bad about that. Yeah. What about it's you, Josh? As a longtime Cubs fan, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll be on Saturday, 10 a.m. pre-pre-game show, our first Chiefs telecast. No, not telecast. Broadcast. We don't do that. We'll broadcast. <laughs> we'll have it on for you Saturday right here on 104.7 The Cave. Thanks to Deb Reynolds, Alex Scott, Josh Roberts. We'll see you guys Saturday. Thanks again to Corbin Campbell, Brian Tindall, Mike the Intern, and, of course, Nick Fury. We'll see you Saturday right here on 104.7 The Cave.